At length, an oak chest that had long lain hid was found in the castle they raised the lid, and a skeleton form lay mouldering there in the bridal wreath of that lady fair. Oh, sad was her fate in sportive jest. She hid from her lord in the old oak chest. It closed with a spring and dreadful doom. The bride lay clasped in her living tomb. Welcome to Laudanum and Lace and to 2021. That sounds very futuristic, but today we'll take you into the past so that you can forget about the present just for a little while. We're your hosts, I'm Suzanne. And I'm Karina. Thanks to everyone who listened to the first episode of Laudanum and Lace. The response was really nice and we had some lovely feedback from a few people that we'd like to say hello to. They are Jill, Simon, Vicky, Gabe and Sarah, Daniel, Tony, Susan, Sean, Kate, Justin, John and Shelley. And Caleb and Jacob, Karen and Alan and James. There were lots of you that listened and commented and we love your comments. So let us know what you think or if you have any supernatural stories that you think we should cover. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We have been busy posting lots of interesting pictures and articles related to the episodes. Today, Karina opened the episode with a reading from The Mistletoe Bow by Thomas Haynes Bailey. This brings us to today's episode topic, Ghost Brides. So today you'll meet an assortment of Miss Havisham-like characters including the real-life Miss Havisham from Australia that inspired her character. Uh, We'll explore the image of the doomed bride that has become popular in literature, art, poetry and film. And I believe you had some fun looking into ghost brides, Karina. Yes, definitely. We have uncovered ghostly women in white, wedding day tragedies, unrequited love, ghost marriages, strange burials, supernatural wedding crushes and haunted wedding dresses. Till death do us part will take on a new meaning after today and make us question, does death truly part us? So before this, did you know much about ghost brides? I knew of a few stories. There is one very well-known one here in South Australia. Uh, But apart from that, I don't really know too much. But we've actually discovered some really amazing stories through doing the research. Yeah, definitely. This episode was inspired by a story that we told in the first episode about the Bride of Brams Hill Hall which is one of my favourite ghost stories. You can go back and listen to the story in full in episode one. Karina's going to quickly refresh our memory. So the bride of Brams Hill Hall was married sometime in the 17th century and after the wedding feast, she thought it would be fun to play a game of hide and seek. So she ran off and hid, but no matter how hard (laughs) anyone looked, they could not find her. Years later, her skeletal remains were found in an old oak chest. 
It seemed that after hiding in there, she had found herself trapped and unable to free herself. She died a slow, horrible death. She was still wearing her wedding dress and clutching her mistletoe bouquet. The ghost of the ill-fated bride is said to still haunt the hall to this day. And I found that there was a lot more to this story, um, which is actually also known as the legend of the mistletoe bough and sometimes bride and seek. Brams Hill House is one of the largest Elizabethan houses in England and it's been described as princely and so large with so many hidden passageways, staircases and doors that one could never navigate the whole house in a lifetime. The chest that the bride, whose name was Anne, was said to have died in is still on display there. But the house's owner, Sir William Henry Cope, wrote a pamphlet about the chest in 1880, which was later included in his 1883 History of the Hall. He claimed that the chest on display in the house was only a replica of the original because the original was removed in 1813 by a female ancestor and I presume that was because she maybe found it too morbid or some kind of haunting activity that she associated to this chest. In the 1920s, the new lady cope, Miss Edna Hilton, a young American socialite married into the family, which revived the legend in American newspapers, which wrote a lot about it at the time. And apparently the newspapers wanted her to climb into the chest as a publicity stunt and people were daring her to climb into the chest and have them close the lid. Would you climb inside the chest? I probably would actually, would you? Yeah, I, I guess so. As long as someone would get me out and I wouldn't end up like her, trapped in there, that would be a really horrible way to die. You'd definitely need to trust the people that were going to reopen it, I think. So it was reported that people staying at the house would be kept awake with the sound of muffled screams and moans, as well as banging, as though someone were trapped inside the chest. The thud of a chest banging shut could also be heard echoing through the house day and night. Visitors have reported the appearance of a white lady who is described as sad-faced, and she often lingers near the chest. But Bramshill Hall is not the only house to make claim to this legend or display a chest said to have been the bride's final resting place. More than 12 other houses have claimed to be haunted by the famous doomed bride. So the origins of the legend are murky. Some tales report the bride as being Anne Cope, while others say the bride was Genevieve Orsini, who came from Italy in 1727 to make a match in England. Sir William Cope said in his history that the original chest at Bramshill Hall was imported from Italy and that the legend associated with it was based in fact. He surmised that the history of the chest had become intertwined with the poem Ginevira by Samuel Rogers, which described the tragedy of the Orsini Bride in his book Italy, which was published in 1822. Whatever the origins of the story, the legend soon became part of popular folklore. 
The earliest reference to the legend is from a German article, The Melancholy Occurrence, published in 1809, but by far the most popular retelling was The Mistletoe Bow, a song written by Sir Henry Bishop and T.H. Bailey in 1813, which Karina read from at the start of the show. And by the 1850s, this song was so well known that most people knew the words by heart, and in 1862, the song was referred to as one of the most popular songs ever written, so it was a hit of its day. It was also immortalised in several short stories, including The Old Oak Chest by Susan E. Wallace in 1887 and The Romance of Certain Old Clothes by Henry James in 1868. An episode of the new Netflix series, Haunting of Bly Manor, is actually named after and loosely based on the story too. Have you watched The Haunting of Bly Manor yet? I started watching that actually about a month ago, but I really do need to go back to it. I actually thought it was okay. Yeah, I haven't started watching it yet, but it's the it carries on from that Haunting of Hill House show, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this episode, The Romance of Certain Old Clothes, is some kind of flashback origin story based on this tale. There are also several silent films made of the story, and the 1904 short called The Mistletoe Bow has now been restored by the BFI and made available on their website. So I'll post a link on our Facebook so that you can go and watch it in full. It's really quite beautiful. The story is also accounted in Alfred Hitchcock's film Rope from 1948, in which it's the favourite story of the main character, Brandon Shaw, who may have stuffed someone in a chest, but I won't ruin the film for you if you haven't seen it. You're very fond of that little tune, aren't you? The Adelaide Mail reported that the chest came up for sale in the 1950s when the contents of the house were being auctioned off, but it was withdrawn from sale as it was decided that it should stay in the panelled long gallery that Anne haunts. You'd put a bid in on that one, wouldn't you, Karina? Most definitely, (laughs) wouldn't you? I can imagine you with your haunted objects. Oh, I would love to have something like that in my house. I've got a haunted piano, so that would go perfectly right next to it. (laughs) And um, the story is not without precedent too, because in the 1920s, newspapers reported that a young lady in America, she became trapped in a cedar chest and she suffocated inside because the space was so small that she was stuck and couldn't push the lid open from the inside. That is so sad. I read that, actually, the newspaper article. It's terrible. Apparently, the space was so small that she couldn't even move her arms once she got in there, and then the lid shut and she couldn't get out. Mm, It's tragic. There is a certain type of ghost known as the white lady. She's often seen in a long, flowing white dress with loose, long hair. And these female spirits are generally seen in rural areas and are often linked to tragic situations associated with murder, suicide, accidental death or betrayal. In folklore and medieval legend, a white lady often appears by night or day 
which often means a family member will soon die. They are even seen in photographs before or after death. There are many well-known sightings and stories of white lady apparitions around the world. And there is one that is very well known in Ireland and it is the ghost of a lady in white who is often seen at Charles Fort in Cork. She's known as the White Lady of Kinsale. So according to legend, one of the fort soldiers married a local girl. On the night of their wedding, they stayed at the fort. The soldier fell asleep whilst on duty after swapping with the watch guard briefly and was shot at his post when found asleep. This then led to the tragic suicide of his bride once she discovered her husband had been shot. She instantly threw herself over the battlement on the fort. To this day, her ghost has still been seen and she is often seen wearing a blood-stained wedding gown wandering the grounds of the fort. Bowdoin Castle in Galloway, Scotland, has its own white lady, Janet Darlimple, who was forced by her parents to abandon the man that she loved and marry a David Dunbar. On their wedding night, she stabbed him. He survived, but she died soon after. She appears on their wedding anniversary and on the anniversary of her death, roaming the castle in her blood-stained wedding dress. Sir Walter Scott based his novel, The Bride of Lammermuir, on this ghost story. White ladies appear at Malahide Castle, where Lady Maud Plunkett appears on her wedding day and chases her husband's ghost. As well as Salisbury Hall near Preston in the UK, where the white lady is thought to be the ghost of a 17th century lady named Dorothy, who had planned a secret elopement with her lover. But on the night of her elopement, her brothers ambushed and killed the groom and his two companions. Centuries later, three skeletons were found buried outside the moat. People think that it was the doomed wedding party. Dorothy still haunts the garden searching for her murdered fiancé. Dragsholm Slut in Denmark is another haunted castle and home to its own white lady known as Selina. She is the daughter of a nobleman who fell in love with a commoner despite being already betrothed to a nobleman who would bring their family much prestige. Her father conceded that Selina could continue seeing the commoner until the day of her wedding when she would have to marry the man that he had chosen. But Selina became pregnant to her lover before the wedding. Her furious father had her chained to a wall in the dungeon where she was bricked in and left to die. The story was thought to be a legend, but in the 1930s, when renovations were underway to modernise the building and its plumbing, a skeleton was discovered behind a wall in the basement. Could this have been Selena? Either way, Selena is certainly still there and said to haunt the castle, crying and wailing. Like a real-life version of the movie The Shining, there are a number of ghostly brides attached to hotels around the world, which isn't surprising because I guess almost every couple stays in a hotel for their honeymoon, which can sometimes leave some dark attachments to places. The scenic Banoff Spring Hotel in Canada's Rocky Mountains 
is imposingly built in the style of a Scottish baronial castle and is one of the most haunted places in Canada and the home to the ghost of a bride. The long train of her wedding dress caught fire on the candlelit staircase. She panicked and fell, breaking her neck in the fall. Her ghost is now seen dancing in the ballroom, flames still licking the back of her dress. In 2014, the Canadian Mint released a ghost bride coin and stamp to commemorate this local story. The coin uses lenticular technology so that when you move it, the bride's eyes open and the candles flicker in the background. Room 525 at the Grand Romanesque-styled Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas, is associated with a ghostly pair dubbed the Suicide Brides. The first bride has been seen wandering the fourth floor in her wedding dress since hanging herself in Room 525 after her groom never turned up to their wedding, which was meant to be hosted at the hotel. Twenty years later to the day another bride killed herself in the same room while on their honeymoon. The room is said to exude an evil energy. So I guess the moral of that story is if you go to the Driscoll Hotel and they give you room 525, request to change rooms. I personally would want to be staying in the room, but... I know you would. <laughs> oh, how could you not? Well, I'm, yeah. It's that's that's totally like something from The Shining, that one, The Suicide Brides, and there's two of them. In Southern Gothic style, the historic Seelbark Hilton in Louisville, Kentucky, is plagued by a sad bride who in 1907 awaited her groom at the hotel for their wedding ceremony, but sadly he had died in an accident on the way to the wedding. The distraught bride threw herself down the elevator shaft, falling ten stories to her death. Guests still report that her old-fashioned perfume lingers where she walks the halls. The image of the ghostly or dead bride is still a popular Halloween costume and a modern horror staple, but it was a popular image in the 18th and 19th century. So when you think of a ghost bride... What do you think of? And what's so tragic about a ghostly bride? If I think of a ghost bride, I think very haunting. I I, I assume that she would have to be sort of hanging around the area that she possibly would have died in. And I would assume that she may well have passed away on the day she was meant to be married or possibly the night before. So you'd have to sort of ask yourself why Does she look like a bride, I suppose? Like, why would she be haunting in a wedding dress and a veil? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. It obviously means that there's been a moment surrounding the wedding or the wedding dress that has led to the haunting. What do you find so tragic about it? I think I find tragic about it is that It's heartbreaking. If I saw a ghost that looked like a bride, I would just think, how did she die? You know what I mean? There must have been some extreme tragedy. And that, to me, in itself is tragic. People of the Victorian era had a morbid obsession with death and dying, and I suppose these days we think it was morbid of them, but I think at the time it would have just been everyday living. 
Um, improved living conditions meant that life expectancy was greater. So dying young became more tragic than in the past. And after the death of Prince Albert, Queen Victoria went into deep mourning. This inspired mourning customs and fashions of the time, which became more elaborate than ever. The Victorians wholly embraced the tragic spectacle and romanticised death and mourning. So traditionally, a bride is imagined as being in her budding youth, on the verge of happiness, beginning a new chapter of her life, at the pinnacle of beauty, love, expectation. So the image of a dead bride or ghostly bride fed into the Victorian fondness for drama, love, beauty and tragedy. There was also the intertwined fascination with sex and death, and death and the deceased as a muse. Edgar Allan Poe said, the death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world. And his stories and poetry frequently used this reoccurring theme of beautiful women dying and also the lamenting of a deceased bride or lost love, for example, in Ligeia, Bernice, Morella and the Oval Portrait, among others. So there's a sense of the loss of love and life. So she embodies morality and the ideal of youth. Therefore, the image of a dead woman can be interpreted as the Victorian feminine ideal, the ultimate passive woman, and a perfection idealised against an anxiety of women's liberation, which was just beginning to gain momentum in the 19th century. The other portrayals of deceased women from the Victorian age actually give them a voice. They were produced to highlight the plight and experience of women and the tragedy that they faced, especially as many entered loveless or arranged marriages. They had little control over their lives. Sadly, that was the tragedy of many marriages. They were unhappy and even into the 20th century, divorce was either not allowed by the church or frowned upon. So it wasn't an option for many people. Also, when a woman married, there was the high likelihood that she might die in childbirth. It was not uncommon for women to be buried in their wedding dress and they would even lay out their clothing before they went into labour so that if they died, their family would know what they wished to be buried in. This was often the wedding dress, which was just their best dress, one bought to be used on special occasions. The white wedding dress did not become customary until Queen Victoria wore white at her wedding and made it very fashionable. The so Queen Victoria actually requested to be buried in her wedding dress and her veil, and it's widely thought that she was buried with her bridal veil covering her face. But in truth, it wasn't the same veil. This custom actually dates back to the ancient Roman tradition of the bridal veil being used as a burial shroud. Another ancient custom from Greece and Rome is carrying the bride over the threshold. And this is because the threshold was believed to be inhabited by spirits. Threshold rites were performed to stop evil spirits from entering the house the threshold is also associated with death in many pagan beliefs and it was considered very bad luck 
to stumble at a threshold when entering a house. So the bride was carried to avoid any mishap or evil as she entered the new home. And in ancient Greece, young girls who died before marriage were buried in their wedding clothes and called Brides of Hades, who of course was the god of the underworld. In 2020, a 3,500-year-old mummy of a teenage girl buried with all of her wedding goods was uncovered in Luxor, Egypt. And skipping to modern times, Judy Garland was also buried in her wedding dress in 1969, a custom pale blue mini dress that she was married to her fifth husband in only three months before she sadly passed away. I have an Australian story of a lady buried in her wedding dress and she's the one I mentioned at the beginning from South Australia. She was the only female to be hung in South Australia and her name was Elizabeth Woolcock. She died, she was hung on the 30th of December in 1873 at Old Adelaide Jail for the murder of her husband Thomas Wilcock by mercury poisoning. Elizabeth was hung and buried in her wedding dress and over the years there have been many various sightings of a woman in a long white dress in the women's wing of the jail and she's often seen walking around and also she's been seen looking down from the second level of the women's lock-up cells. And you've spent a bit of time at the jail there? I've been there many, many times. Yeah, I used to work for a ghost tour company actually. So uh, many nights I was there till around 3am and yeah, I've had some unusual experiences. I can't say I've actually seen her. I know someone who has seen her. Um, she actually saw her standing at the end of her bed, which was quite special. And you even found some cases of haunted wedding dresses? I did. It's a story of a haunted wedding dress, and it was once owned by a girl called Anna Baker. And I've never heard of Anna Baker, so I found this story really quite intriguing. So Anna actually fell in love with a steel worker and secretly planned to marry him. Uh, her father found out and forbid her to do so because in his mind he wasn't good enough for his daughter. So after many stubborn efforts, Anna actually decided to never marry another man because she loved him so much. She just did not want to marry anyone else and she wasn't happy with her father's decision. So she decided to remain single for the rest of her life. And she was often seen by servants who worked in the house at night time, dancing under the moonlight in her wedding dress. So she loved this dress. She must have loved it so much to want to dance in it under the full moon. So she, she once purchased that off of someone else. Um, and the girl she purchased it off of actually kind of mocked her because her wedding never went forward. So she never had the opportunity to wear this with her true love. Anna Baker died in 1914. Some people believe the despair and anger she had for her father manifested into the wedding dress. The dress was actually put on display in a glass case and has to this day been known to move. It sort of sways from side to side and knocks onto the glass as though it was dancing. Wow. And where's this? That's actually at the Baker Museum in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Okay, and it moves, but it's in a glass case, right? That's right. It's been said to move 
as if it was dancing. Wow. And no wind can get to it because it's encased. That's right. They've actually had professionals go in there and sort of try and find out whether or not there are any sort of areas, I suppose, where the wind can get in, but they've actually debunked that. Wow. So it moves of its own animation. Mm. And how, how do objects become haunted? Well, I personally believe objects become haunted because I guess if you think of it this way, do you have something that you really love, like a ring or a necklace or something? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you wear that all the time, you're sort of your energy goes into it. It's something that you always have close with you. And I suppose if you love it so much in life, I guess you're still going to love it so much in death. So there's an attachment to it. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, I sort of find that with a lot of my dolls as well, that they have a lot of them have spirit attachments. Um, mm. So many items can have spirit attachments. And is this, is this a really common thing for items to have a spirit attachment? Most definitely. What are the most common items to have a spirit attachment? The most common objects that I personally know of are generally dolls or jewellery. Uh, definitely homes, of course, and sometimes in some cases furniture as well. Um, personally, I haven't actually heard of a haunted wedding dress, so this story is very quite unique, I think. Yeah, and from the wedding dresses to mourning jewellery, which you did mention, the jewellery there is often having an attachment, and you really like mourning jewellery too, as do I. Do you collect mourning jewellery? I do. I've been collecting it for many years now. I've got quite a few beautiful pieces and I'm still finding more. Uh, I quite often get given them for birthday or Christmas presents. They're very beautiful. Uh, they're very unique, especially the ones with the hair. Do you have any with the hair inside? I don't have any hair, hair ones, but you're into the hair ones. I really like the jet oh, um, and even even kind of the cheaper later Bakelite ones, just anything black and shiny really I love and I'll wear but and mm, I guess I there it. you've got the added attachment of it's actually the person's hair that's why I like the hair ones because it it does have that extra something I think the hair of a deceased person from the Victorian or Edwardian era it's just so special people find that quite creepy but at that time, it was considered a very special memento and remembrance of someone. Also, hence why mourning jewellery was so popular at the time. It was fashionable. Um, they often had inscriptions and paintings or photographs of the deceased person, as well as their hair. There's a famous mourning portrait by the Parisian artist P.R. Vallée, and it's of the young Harriet Mackey. The portrait is also known as the Dead Bride. This is in the form of a piece of mourning jewellery, a circular pendant, and it's painted on ivory. She's pictured laid out in her bridal gown on one side, and a lock of her hair is woven into the reverse side. Harriet was of Charleston, Carolina, and was only 17 when she died in 1804 on the eve of her wedding to a William Rose. Her death was considered mysterious because she'd been in perfect health. However, she was the sole heiress to her father's vast fortune 
and huge rice plantation, which she would inherit on the event of her marriage, so it was widely speculated that she'd been poisoned by her cousin who was next in line to her family's inheritance. Harriet is said to still haunt St Michael's Church, where she still waits in her wedding dress. I am the ghost of a bride. Time stands still. Yet everything turns to dust. Probably the most well-known image of the doomed bride from the Victorian era still remembered today and ingrained in pop culture is Miss Havisham from Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. She is the quintessential spooky tragic bride. She appears from time to time in the novel as a ghost but when Pip first meets her, she is alive and such is her grotesque and frightening visage that she haunts Pip's mind so that he sees her ghastly apparition all over the place. Miss Havisham is the mistress of Satis House and she's a wealthy spinster who many years before was jilted on her wedding day. Ever since that day, she's remained alone in the decaying mansion still in her wedding dress with the rotting wedding feast laid out on the table and never cleared away. In the end, Miss Havisham dies when the long train of her wedding dress catches fire from a spark from the fireplace and she's burnt to death. There have been lots of film adaptations of the book. Some of the actresses who have played Miss Havisham include Helena Bonham Carter, Florence Reed, Gillian Anderson, but my favourite is the 1948 version with Martita Hunt as Miss Havisham. Are you a fan of any of these films? I am. I haven't seen that movie in a very, very long time, maybe a couple of years, but I personally love the old black and white version. Is that the 1948 version? It is. It's the classic one, I think, that everyone immediately thinks of. So there were like lots of later adaptations. The BBC have done a lot and TV movies and miniseries. Actually, for one of the BBC adaptations, they had a very funny publicity stunt where five women dressed as Miss Havisham, these bedraggled spooky brides, actually travelled around London on the trains the image of Miss Havisham in this film is incredible. It's wonderful, atmospheric, black and white, and she's this ghastly figure, an ageing lady in her tattered wedding gown, sitting at the long table beside the rotting wedding cake and food that's covered in rats and insects and cobwebs. It's just thick in cobwebs. You found a real-life Miss Havisham in Australia, didn't you, Suzanne? Yeah, I did. The character of Miss Havisham is said to have been inspired by an Australian lady named Eliza Emily Donathorne, who lived not far from me in Newtown here in Sydney. And that's a busy inner suburb that many people from Sydney would be very familiar with. Eliza was born in South Africa but settled in Sydney with her well-to-do father. 
James Donathorne, a retired East India Company judge and master of the mint. He purchased a Georgian villa on King Street known as Cambridge Hall or Camperdown Lodge. He tried to arrange several marriages for Eliza, but she stubbornly refused all matches, saying that she would only marry for love. Eventually, she met a young man, a shipping company clerk, called George Cuthbertson, but her father did not approve of the young man, so the couple was supposed to have met secretly in the Camperdown Cemetery. Eventually, her father consented to their marriage, and on the wedding day, a large gathering of onlookers gathered on King Street to see this high society wedding party, but the groom never turned up. Eliza was devastated and sunk into a deep depression. She demanded that the wedding feast, which had been laid out, not be touched. Everything had to remain the same in case he came back. It's theorised that her father may have paid off or scared away the groom. Either way, he was never heard from again. Her father passed away in 1852 and Eliza remained a recluse in the decaying house. The windows were boarded shut and the curtains were always drawn as though the house was in mourning, while the garden became wild and overgrown. Yet the front door was always left ajar in case her groom ever came back. Eliza eventually died in 1886, and when the house was put on the market, the wedding cake and feast was still mouldering on the table 30 years later, little more than dust. She was buried in Camperdown Cemetery, which is one of the oldest remaining cemeteries, and her ghost was said to inhabit Camperdown Lodge. In 1920, the house burnt down, and since then people claim that her ghost has been seen at night in the Camperdown Cemetery, dressed in her wedding dress, poignantly the site of her first trysts with her runaway beau. Camperdown Cemetery is a very well-known cemetery in the inner west of Sydney. Most people are really respectful, but sadly her grave was vandalised in 2004, I believe, and the National Trust paid and had that fixed. And I actually visited her grave recently when I was doing research for this story they've done a very nice job of restoring it I will post a photo of it because I took lots of photos when I was there so I'll do that in the next few days so you can jump on our Instagram or Facebook and have a look I wouldn't mind going there to see that actually I'd love to see her grave as well you'd love it it's a beautiful old cemetery there sounds amazing Stella, how long have you been here? I don't know. Stella, you must leave this house. It's a dead house. Nothing can live here. Leave it to Stella, I beg of you. What do you mean? This is the house where I grew up. It's, it's part of me. It's my home. It's Miss Havisham's home. But she's gone, Stella. Gone from this house, from you, from both of us. She is not gone. She's still here with me in this house, in this very room. Then I defy her. There's another story, and this one's relating to a cemetery once again with a ghost bride. 
but this one is a little different to the last story and this story is an Italian bride. So there's a very haunting story of a lady named Giulia Bacola Petta and she's also known as the Italian bride. There's a life-size statue of her in her wedding dress at her gravesite. So we might actually post some of those pictures up for you to see. It's absolutely beautiful. Her ghost is often seen at the edge of the cemetery where she lay. Julia became pregnant soon after marriage and sadly died whilst giving birth to her son, Filippo. In Italian tradition, a death during childbirth made a woman a martyr. So she was buried in white, so that's the martyr's colour. And then she was placed into her casket in her wedding dress with her arms embracing her deceased infant. Julia's mother had nightmares of her daughter needing help. So after six long years of these ongoing nightmares, she had the grave reopened and she had Julia's body exhumed. So when opening the casket, they actually discovered Julia's body had not decayed and her flesh was as soft as when she was alive. So she looked exactly the same as when they placed her in there after six long years. This post-mortem photograph is actually on her grave today at the Mount Carmel Cemetery and that's actually in Chicago. Do you know, Jane Eyre, where the wicked go after death? They go to hell. And what is hell? A pit full of fire. Should you like to fall into this pit and be burned there forever? No, sir. How might you avoid it? I must keep in good health and not die. Another classic Victorian story that abounds with supernatural themes of ghosts, psychic connections and precognition is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. On Jane Eyre's wedding night, a phantom enters her room. It tries on her bridal veil, then violently rips it in two. Jane describes the phantom as a woman with thick and dark hair hanging down her back. Jane says, I know not what dress she had on. It was white and straight, but whether gown, sheet or shroud, I cannot tell. She then describes the woman's veiled reflection in the oblong looking glass as fearful and ghastly, to which Mr. Rochester replies, ghosts are usually pale. She says, this, sir, was purple. The lips were swelled and dark, the brow furrowed, the black eyebrows widely raised over the bloodshot eyes. Shall I tell you of what it reminded me? of the foul German spectre, the vampire. Again, there are lots of movie adaptations of Jane Eyre. The classic 1946 film with Orson Welles and Joan Fontaine. There's some really nice BBC adaptations, but my favorite is the 2011 film with Mia Wozakowska as Jane Eyre because though it's a modern adaptation, I like how this version highlights the supernatural elements of the story and it lingers with a moody subtlety and a sense of gothic melancholy without being overblown melodrama. Thrilled, hers were filled with regret. But in a moment of panic, Victor desperately fled. And by a grave misunderstanding, 
marry the corpse bride instead. You may kiss the bride. A modern film synonymous with ghost brides that everyone will know is Tim Burton's The Corpse Bride. The story has its basis in a Russian Jewish folktale about two young men who, when walking through the forest, saw a stick poking out of the ground. It looked so much like a finger that one young man placed a gold wedding band intended for his bride upon the twig and did the marriage dance around the twig in jest. They found it very amusing. The men were horrified when a bony hand reached from the ground and the corpse of a woman emerged claiming that the young man must uphold his proposal of marriage, for now they were lawfully married. The young man and the corpse bride took the matter to the village elders in order to decide if the marriage was true and must be upheld. There is a tradition of a ghost marriage which dates back to the first imperial dynasty of China. This was to ensure that if a man or woman dies unmarried, they could travel the afterlife with company. According to legend, if someone passed and was not given a proper ghost marriage, she or he would forever haunt the family home until the arrangement took place. These hauntings would put the younger family members at risk, resulting in a downfall of the family home and fortune. A ghost marriage can also take place between a dead person and a living. Often unmarried girls are shunned from society. Other reasons for ghost marriages for deceased males are dreams and seances from the spirit who wants to be married, and these still happen today. Asia has a long folkloric tradition of living people falling in love with ghosts. There are lots of stories, romances and horror movies associated with these tales and ghost bride romances can be seen in movies like The Bride from Hell from 1972 and Ghost Lovers from 1974, both Shaw Brothers films from Hong Kong and then there's the Bride with White Hair 1 and 2 from the early 90s, which were by Ronnie Yu and the well-known Mr Vampire from 1985. Posthumous marriage is not exclusive to Asia. It's been carried out in special circumstances throughout the world. And there is one example from colonial Australia associated with a well-known Sydney ghost legend known as Sarah's Grave. Sarah's grave is located in Castle Ray Cemetery, which is near Penrith in Sydney, a western suburb more than an hour from Sydney City. It's one of the oldest remaining cemeteries in Sydney and the final resting place of many First Fleet arrivals. Sarah Marshall was a young convict who arrived in Australia in 1818 after being deported for stealing clothing in England. She served her sentence and became a free woman settling in the early township of Castlereagh on the Nepean River with another free man, John Simpson. They had eight children together but remained unwed, which was unusual for the time. One night when Sarah was walking home, she was set upon by a group of men who had been following her. They sexually assaulted and brutally murdered her. John, of course, was utterly devastated and it's believed that when Sarah was buried, 
before the funeral, a graveside marriage ceremony was carried out between the couple so that she wouldn't die in sin and I presume also to legitimise the children. Nothing remains of the original township except for this cemetery, which is a lot smaller today than it was then. It's notorious for being one of Sydney's most haunted cemeteries and the legend of Sarah's grave and ghost is deeply ingrained in local lore and urban legend. It's said that her ghost harasses men that go there and women have seen her ghost in the trees above her grave. Cars are said to stall there and people have reported screams day and night. It became such a notorious hotspot for people to go on dares that they actually had to fence the whole cemetery off and it's only open during certain hours of the day because it's sadly been vandalised so many times. That's absolutely awful. You had an experience visiting there, didn't you? I did go up there to have a look when I was doing research for this episode and what happened was uncanny, I believe, would be the best word. So it wasn't supernatural or it was just the atmosphere. So as we were driving up there, the sky went black and it, a storm blew in. It began raining, but the rain just got harder and harder until there was almost no visibility and there was a violent electrical storm so this cemetery, it's in the middle of nowhere, so it's very isolated and we're on this winding road and there's no one around. We're being pelted with rain, thunder and lightning all around and I just felt like we were traversing the Borgo Pass from Dracula. And then when we arrived at this tiny little cemetery, the lightning was actually striking what looked like directly in the cemetery and around the area where her grave is. Um, so I waited in the car thinking the storm would pass quite quickly, but the storm didn't pass. It just seemed like it was concentrated directly over us and the cemetery. Finally, the rain eased off a bit and I dashed out to take some photos and then the storm came back and lightning struck very close behind us so we just had to run for it but I got the distinct impression that we weren't welcome there so it's a coincidence that we got that freak storm that just happened to be over that area it was a very violent storm and like I said it was just very just felt like we weren't meant to be there so we left but I did take a couple of photos which I will post on our Facebook so you can go have a look in the next few days. I really wish I was with you that day, Suzanne. It sounds like it was a very epic thunderstorm, which I, I love storms. <laughs> I would love to actually go there. So just yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's got obviously the history of being a, one of the most early settlements, First Fleet, there's some well-known historical people buried there, but I didn't get the chance to look. So maybe if I recover from the trauma of that initial experience, I'll go back and have a look. 
Absolutely. Well, if you give me a bit of notice, I might even come over and go there with you. Yeah, if if the border opens again, sadly, we are separated due to COVID. Yeah, unfortunately. And I'll just add, I think, sadly, that story about Sarah, it's really, really tragic. I don't think she's often given the respect that she deserves because it, it's become such an urban legend that people visit and muck around in the cemetery which is why they've had to fence it off so severely. Yeah, I hate hearing stories of that sort of thing. There was a similar situation in South Australia with um, St John's Cemetery in uh, Kapunda. The old girls' reformatory was actually demolished. So I hate hearing stuff like that. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, again, a place that's really been attached to a very strong supernatural urban legend. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it's devastating, really. Um, I have another little tale to tell, and this one is a colonial tale. And this time, this one's about a ghostly groom that has become a local legend associated with Garth House, which was located by the South Est River in Tasmania. In the 1830s, a young Englishman was granted land in the new colony of Tasmania. This seemed like a great opportunity for him and his bride-to-be to begin a new life in a new land. So he left his love in England, promising to build her a beautiful house. In Tasmania, he enthusiastically set about making this dream become a reality, taking great care to build a grand house to impress his new bride. After a couple of years, when the house was almost complete, he sailed back to England to marry and bring his bride home. But when he arrived, he found that she hadn't waited for him and had married another man. He made the long journey back to Tasmania and upon reaching Garth House, sank into a deep depression before hanging himself in the courtyard. His ghost is said to forlornly roam the house and grounds. The house was afterwards known as the house that was never finished. And the once imposing two-storey house is nothing more than ruins. Just a few bricks and it's said that anyone who disturbs the ruins of his lovingly built house will be forever cursed. I should ask you this a long time ago. Tiffany, will you be my bride? Oh, Chucky. Yes. Yes. We've already mentioned a few films, but some other doomed and ghost brides from movies include The Bride in Black from Insidious and from the same universe, The Bloody Bride from Annabelle Comes Home in 2019. Have you seen any of those films? I haven't seen Insidious, but I certainly have seen the Annabelle Comes Home movie. I thought that was pretty good. That was the one I liked the best, actually, out of the Annabelle movies. Of course, Jennifer Tilly is well known as the Bride of Chucky, who appears in several of the Child's Play and Chucky films after the Bride doll is inhabited by the girlfriend of the spirit who inhabits Chucky. We've got Beetlejuice, another Tim Burton contribution to the gothic genre, and I Love Lydia. Just wanted to say that. Haunted Honeymoon, 1986, with Gene Wilder. 
It should have been the happiest moment of their lives, the night they came home to be married at the house of Great Aunt Kate. But it turned into a haunted honeymoon. Marriage as Apocalypse in Lars von Trier's 2011 film Melancholia. The Blood Spattered Bride from 1972, a favourite of mine, loosely based on Sheridan La Fanu's gothic novel Camilla from 1872, released a hundred years after the original, as it's a Spanish Euro horror with a modern feminist take on the classic gothic story that explores female sexuality. Mircalla Karstein. Is that the woman in the portrait? How did she die? She didn't die. She was found spattered with blood, wearing a wedding gown, next to the body of her husband. She killed her husband on a wedding night. Why? It's because he tried to make her do unspeakable things. Dream Demon, another interesting and surreal UK movie from 1988, which involves demons terrorising a bride-to-be. And it offers a strange social commentary as it mirrors the contemporary courting and media scrutiny of the royal wedding between Prince Charles and the Lady Diana. To sleep, perchance to dream. But she could never sleep. She was afraid to sleep. Still, the dreams haunted her, terrified her. Some supernatural-themed TV shows with wedding episodes include The Ghost Whisperer, Charmed, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Scooby-Doo, and Supernatural. And we don't even have time to mention all of the undead brides of Satan who return in the form of vampires and other creatures. That's a whole other episode with Dracula's brides and the Bride of Frankenstein who have been immortalised in so many films. Here occurred the frightening and shocking history of Prince Dracula. And the woman he loved. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Do you have a favourite undead bride or vampire bride? I'd have to say, because we were talking about it before, and I think it's such a cute movie. I actually, I, I love The Corpse Bride. Um, also, I guess, because I remember seeing this in the cinemas in Edinburgh in Scotland, so it's got nice sort of memory for me associated with that movie um what about you which one do you like do you have a favorite um i'm brides of dracula from francis ford coppola's bram stoker's dracula from 1992 i just think they're gorgeous and so beautifully done and the costumes are so lavish and also uh lucy when she rises from her glass lid coffin in her Wedding dress with that huge white lace neck ruff. I just love that film. I also adore Frankenstein's Bride, created from reanimated body parts in Kenneth Brenner's version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and that was Helena Bonham Carter playing Elizabeth, reanimated as Frankenstein's Bride. No one need ever die. I will stop this. No, you can't achieve death. We 
won't know unless we try. I also can't go past the classics of the Universal Monsters, like Bride of Frankenstein, 1935, and the iconic Brides in Dracula from 1930 with Bella Lugosi, or even Hammer Horror's The Brides of Dracula, 1960 with Peter Cushing and Martita Hunt again, who we mentioned earlier in her role as Miss Havisham. Frankenstein's Bride is also resurrected in the 1985 gothic retelling called The Bride with Sting and Jennifer Beals. The Bride of Frankenstein. I'll finish today with one final Victorian Bride of Satan found in the short story The Spectre Bride by William Harrison Ainsworth from 1821, a Faustian-like tale where a young bride unwittingly sells her soul to the devil for love. So love conquers, it destroys. It's a universal human theme for all cultures and the image of the ghost or doomed bride appears in almost all cultures. So common is the human experience of love and marriage, but we're left to wonder, does death truly part us? Or do the bonds of love and marriage defy even the grave? Thanks for listening. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe for updates if you like. We will be posting lots of pictures and articles related to this episode on our social medias and, as always, we would love to hear from you. What do you think of Ghost Brides? Have you visited Sarah's grave, maybe? Have you seen Eliza's ghost in Camperdown Cemetery or been to the ruins of Garth House? Maybe you have seen a Spectre Bride or have a favourite Ghost Bride from a movie. If so, let us know about it online. Until next time... Bye. Bye.